Hello, everybody. I tell you what, I cannot wait to introduce you to this episode's guest. Well, before I do, let's just start right here. Enjoy. James Tutson, I'm 31 and I'm from Iowa City, Iowa. You really do have a lovely voice. The tone is very sweet and comforting and soulful. I think most of us have found these last few years, you know, they need to shift or reevaluate, celebrate what is good, and, you know, move into spaces that will help us grow and feel life in a new way. This next episode highlights this very experience for a musician who is exploring his voice, both on the show called The Voice, and in a broader sense, as a singer, songwriter, husband, father, and socially minded nonprofit leader, doing this through his music, his actions, and having his heart and eyes wide open. Enjoy this episode of Exploring the Voice, yes, pun intended, of musician James Tutson. the design of yeah thank you so much for having me i'm excited to excited to be here oh man you bet it's it's really a privilege james what do you do for a profession how would you describe that right now yeah a little bit eclectic but i would say that i'm a musician and that i run a nonprofit together with my wife so those are kind of the two main components of what i do for a living right now awesome and we'll definitely want to get to know more about each so let's talk about your music. So, you know, one of the things that always intrigues me about having a chance to meet creatives and creators and people who make is, you know, when, if you were to close your eyes or, or just think back about, you know, when you first started realizing that you were a musician or, you know, music was to be a part of life. Can you remember a moment or a particular space where you're just like, oh, I want to do this, or I'm gifted at this, or. Yeah, it's funny. Life is kind of a, a full circle thing. I'm sitting in a, like uh, the main meeting room of a place called the Wesley Center here in Iowa City, where I live. And it's down the hall. This is the building that I um, used to meet for church in as a kid. And me and my five siblings were the entire church choir. My mom would direct us and, you know, three hour, four hour church services where we would just be singing. And so it feels sort of like, you know, when you say like, is there a moment? It feels like it, I, it wasn't even like a choice or, a, you know, a decision that was made. It was just like I was ushered into music. You know, I was ushered into a family history of singing and performing that is much older than I am, you know? So it's almost like, a, you know, 
I would have had to make an active choice or had a moment where I decided it wasn't for me, you know what I mean? But that never came. It just, it feels like my whole life has been kind of a flow, like being in the flow of, of being a musician in one way, shape, or form mm-hmm. or another. That's beautiful. I love that. So how rich is that history? You know, so your parents musicians or your grandparents or, you know. Yeah, I mean, everybody, you know, my mom was a musician and she toured um, around when she was younger, open for some pretty good bands. I actually went to high school with Shaka Khan, which is kind of funny. Chaka, 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 Chaka Khan. And it was kind of part of that Chicago music scene around the same time. I sat down with my mom just the other day and she was telling me about how my great grandma used to take care of Sam Cooke. I was born by the river. What? at the same church yeah and like she would like bring him over for dinner and like make sure he was fed and all that sort of stuff before he you know blew up and went around and toured mm-hmm. the world all that sort of stuff so, and you know my my great grandma used to sing my grandmother was an organist and a singer you know it like i said it just feels like it's a whole family history that goes back way <laughs> way before me oh so. man that is awesome and was a lot of the music you know from church and out Oh yeah, for sure. My so that's the other thing that is like a big family history is is like gospel music, gospel, you know, and and church, you know, like I think that's true for a lot of black families um, in this country, but especially for mine because they're uh, from the south. Like my grandfather was a pastor, and sort of that like Mississippi gospel, and then like a lot of families migrated north during that time period, ended up in Chicago, and kind of like. We're in that Chicago gospel scene. And mm-hmm. that's where, I mean, that speaking of Sam Cooke, that's like his whole style is Southern soul meets Chicago soul and becomes you know, what he was. So yeah, that's, that's a lot of my history too. It's just like church and church music, you know? So. Oh man, that's cool. Thanks for sharing that. In some ways, this is probably a total bias statement that that wouldn't have music in as part of their you know, life or memories or whatever, but there's certain musicians or songs or, or styles that I, that I go to depending on my mood, but just out of curiosity, if there was a gospel group or a couple gospel songs that you would go to just to, you know, feel that historical connection or, or that time in your past, that was just, you know, uh, wonderful in some way, who, who would you listen to? Yeah, that's a good question. There's a song that has been kind of circulating in my mind. It was one of those songs that I came back to and was kind of like a breakthrough song for like the style that I wanted to have and the music that I want to make. And it's called Precious Lord, Take My Hand, which is a really famous gospel song made most famous by Mahalia Jackson, who used to sing it for Dr. Martin Luther King. So it's like, it's a pretty prolific song. They actually did a version of it in that Summer of Soul documentary that came out. That, yeah, the um, Haley Jackson was was there in in that and um, sung it with. Gosh, not forgetting uh, May, uh, Mavis Staples. They did a version of that together and it was great. But yeah, that's a song that I I come back to regularly just to kind of, I feel like you can hear Mm -hmm. history, (laughs) you know, in that song. And and I love to sing and I love to kind of put 
my own iteration on it. And yeah, that's one that comes to mind right away. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. That's a great documentary, but that was a quest love documentary, right? Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. It's really great. Are you ready, black people? Are you really ready? Are you ready to listen to all the beautiful black voices, the beautiful black feeling, the beautiful black waves moving in beautiful air? Are you ready, black people? Are you ready? The Summer of Soul. Wow. I watched this documentary twice and was riveted by the times, the music, and it literally moved me to tears. Uh, So many of the songs and stories. I highly recommend take some time and experience the Summer of Soul, which was 2022's Oscar award-winning documentary. Check it out. All right, I'm going to ask a question you may not want to answer, but I got to ask it because it just popped in my brain. So of your siblings, who is the most talented musically? <laughs> That's a great question. It's, it's funny. We're all so different in what we do. Like my sister, my older sister, um, like sung opera in college and played the flute. And then I've got a brother who's a producer now and like a a kind of prolific keyboardist and pianist, like incredible and plays that and sings, everybody sings. Then, you know, you've got my next oldest brother who's got like one of the deepest voices I know, you know, like a real like bass to voice and like it has a great singing voice that's so different than the rest of ours because it's just so low. I obviously do my singer-songwriter thing, and my two younger siblings, my sister is like a, you know, strong alto, (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. And then my little brother, you know, he's like the youngest, he had to do kind of the most like solo performances, but he, I think he has like the most eclectic music taste. Like he's the guy that like goes to all the music festivals and understands like all the different types of music. And I remember like playing guitar for him a few times just him singing all sorts of different genres so it's like everybody's a little bit all over the map but a lot of talented people in my family for sure that's great that's a very wonderful political answer as a brother nice job okay so for someone who if i have the opportunity or even care at that point where i want to ask jesus like lord why didn't i have any musical gifts <laughs> because in my mind i'm a great singer and, and I'm, james i'm not but When it comes to instruments, and I know, uh, and I don't want to be inconsistent here. I know I could still pick up an instrument. I I do want to learn to play the guitar. I have one. Mm -hmm. I've taken a couple lessons. But how did that work for your family? You know, so what was your first instrument? And did you, were you given the choice or did you make the choice or how did that work? Yeah, you know, my mom is an interesting character. We could do a whole podcast just about her, but. You know, she obviously loves instruments. She's played the flute as well. And just like how random everybody's kind of interests are, I think the instrument thing is really random. Like, I remember being a kid and, like, my brother kind of picking up the piano, but it wasn't like my mom was like, okay, everybody's going to take piano lessons. You know, Mm -hmm. that's just something that clicked with him. And then he went, you know, and I remember playing, like, pots and pans in the choir. (laughs) You know what I mean? I remember picking up, like, we kind of all tried a lot of things. Like, I picked up a violin first, you know, in fourth grade, and then I tried to play the tuba in junior high, and nothing really clicked there. You know, my sister went on to play the flute, and my other sister, like, played viola all through high school. So everybody just was kind of picking something that clicks with them and, and, and embracing it, you know. For me, I, the guitar didn't come around until I graduated high school. 
I went and went to a camp and everybody had their like guitars and they were singing all these songs and I was like, ah, that's kind of cool. And one of my big mentors in life was a guy named JJ Alberhasky, is another musician who you might have heard of already. But he played guitar. He was a singer-songwriter. And I was like, you know, like I think I could play guitar. And I remember that summer after I graduated, I got this cheapo guitar that my mom had in our house randomly from a garage sale or something. I got a book of chords and I, you know, looked up the songs I wanted to learn. And I just, that's all I did for the next, it felt like a year and a half was every chance I got, I was playing guitar and trying to learn some new song. So kind of a random assortment of like instruments and how they came to be, but yeah. yeah. Wait a second, JJ, he is yes. a musical genius, used to be a Young Life guy. Unreal, yes, used to be a Young Life guy, incredible musician. I he's He's a person that, if he ever had desired it, would be one of the more prolific artists in the country, is my opinion. You know, that's how talented he is. That's the type of songwriting I think he can do. And more importantly, when he performs, he captivates his audience. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. something about the way that he presents songs, the way that he like can get back into the spirit of the songs that he's playing is, uh, is yeah. It's enchanting, special. I think is the word. Yeah, yeah. very special. So yeah, yeah he's enchanting. Incredible. I like enchanting. Let's go with enchanting. That's much better. <laughs> much better. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. That's that's something I've always tried to imagine. You know that that you yeah. know I know there's some people that just you know can really just pick up an instrument more or less and just have natural ability to it. But no, it's really cool. Did you did you ever get try anything? Did you ever take any lessons or anything like that? James, you're not supposed to be putting me on the spot like that. <laughs> you know, actually, you know what? Here's here's the thing. I owe my mom a, a, a bunch of apologies. One, I remember when I was young, she wanted me to get braces and I was too embarrassed to. And then I got them as an adult. And I remember going back to mom thinking, oh, man, I wish I just would have would have made me do it. Gotten over it. <laughs> and she wanted me to take piano lessons. And I, I don't. Yeah, I wish I could go back to little kid Justin and be like, take that piano lessons man so who knows yeah. what that opened it's up so hard. yeah it's so hard like even now like i've got a couple kids now and it's like what do you put them in and how do you you know like choose and then to what degree do you say hey you got to stick with this or do you just say like pick it up put it down doesn't matter you know it's so hard to figure that out because i've got friends that did something their whole life and then they become an adult and they're like i wish i wouldn't have wasted all my time doing yeah. gymnastics, you know, because sure. my mom wanted me to. And I have other friends who are like, I wish I would have just done the piano lessons, yeah. <laughs> you know? And then you have other so, friends that are just like, I'm glad my parents, you know, made sure yeah, I went oh, to yeah. swim le lessons every day or whatever, or right. you know, yeah. swim team or whatever. But yeah, you don't know. But I think, you know, it's being, I think, purposeful and attentive. And, and what I appreciate about my mom, and I wish I would have picked this example up earlier. I have four kids. Mm -hmm. And my my oldest, God bless her, she, it wasn't until, unfortunately, until high school that I realized a lot of stuff I was putting on her was me. It had right. nothing to yeah. do with me seeing her as her. Mm -hmm. And that's been a painful revelation. But I'm grateful that I got it now versus, you know, 10 years from now. So, yeah, I, I feel that already, you know, like I've been trying to ask myself recently because my oldest is only four. But I try to ask myself, like, am I am I doing this? You know, or am I like giving her this boundary or doing this thing just because I don't want her to be four? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, just yeah. because I'm like, I have an expectation based on my experience and what I want, 
as opposed to like, this is a four-year-old who would choose four-year-old things and that's okay. That's exactly what she should choose at age four. You know what I mean? Like yeah, absolutely. trying to like, remember that like, I'm not in charge of her life. And as a four-year-old, she will make four-year-old choices and that's okay. You yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. it's hard, man. Yeah, day by day. We could do day a whole podcast day, just sure. about uh, parenting wins and parenting <laughs> failures, right? So uh, yeah, maybe for sure. maybe part two we'll do we'll we'll talk about your mom because that sounds fascinating. And then yeah. I could get a bunch of I'll get Bob <laughs> and a bunch of people together and we'll oh, just yeah. talk about parenting because that would be actually I would be in be quite fascinating. I have to write that down. <laughs> All right, so I want to go to your first live music performance. Now. You could start with, if you remember the first time, you may not, the first time you were, you were on stage at church or mm -hmm. the first time James by himself or however that looked like went and performed live. Do you remember either of those moments? Yeah. You know, I, I don't have a clear memory of the church thing because like I said, I, you know, it's from the moment I could do it, I was doing it. But I do remember, you know, the way that my mom would do it is that everyone would take a solo, mm. pretty much every song. She would go down the line with a microphone and each of us would have to sing our line backed up by the rest of the choir or take a verse or something. So I, do, I remember that that was like part of the growing up was not like, I mean, there was only six of us anyway, but there was no like anonymity of like, you know, performance was part of it because you were we were one of the soloists, you know right, what I mean? Like you right. were, you were part of the group, but you were all expected to do something yourself. But I have a very clear memory of my first kind of like James, I'm a musician performance of songs that I wrote as it was senior year of college. It was a thing that I like had dabbled in kind of an undergrad. I'd started songwriting. I wrote some horrible songs. My roommates <laughs> kept to, for me to remember uh, by, by the, the way, of, um, that's beautiful. Tell me one of the yeah. tell me one of the titles or themes of one of your first songs. Oh, you yeah. think terrible. The, the most the most infamous song was a song called "Gorgeous Girl," <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was like, "If I had the words, if I had the time, I'd tell you how you are will always be just fine," which is a nice sentiment. Yeah, that's um, I'd tell you how your smile can quickly change my world and how you'll always be my gorgeous girl. So like, just kind of corny, you know, like, yeah, but I mean, come I, on, that's, yeah, I mean, there's, there's more, there's famous songs that are more corny than that. I mean, yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, I, you yeah. know, I, you know, I don't, I look back on it. Mostly I look back on it with cringiness because of how I use that. I was definitely performing that song for, <laughs> other girls and oh, for, you know, like trying to get a little, you know, like, Hey, you know, I'm like a sweet singer songwriter type. So most of that's the shame that I carry with that song. Spent the rest of undergrad kind of like writing, dabbling in different things, playing for friends and living rooms, that sort of thing. And finally, they're like, you got to do a show before you graduate. Like you got to put something together. Okay, just really quick, before we go to your show, just to set yeah. it up. So were you going to the University of Iowa? Yes, I was going to University of Iowa. As you mentioned earlier, I'd spent some time in an organization called Young Life. So I'd been to like some different camps. I had sung with JJ and had some friends from that sphere that were like, you should really do something on your own at some point, you know? So yeah, still an undergrad, had some experience performing randomly, but never performance myself. So what yes. was your major? It wasn't music. Um, it wasn't music. I started out in music, man, there's a lot of stuff. I had, I had nodes freshman year of college, like big blisters on your vocal cords. I was in vocal therapy. I was in just like a 
22 semester hours of, you know, therapy and music and all sorts of stuff. And finally I was like, I can't do it, you know, and had to, I dropped out of that program and ended up with child life therapy, which is kind of different, you know, clinical yeah. stuff. So yeah, that's what, that was my major. Awesome. Okay. Now, sorry, I interrupted you. Okay. No, you're going good, back you're to that first James solo, by the way, did you, on that first performance, did you sing either of those initial embarrassing? Songs? I did not. Okay. I did not. Okay. Gorgeous girl was a, was a freshman year college song. I learned a lot that year. Yeah. By the way, is there a recording of Gorgeous Girl anywhere? Because that'd be incredible oh, to have man. that on this show. I wish there was. This was, <laughs> for you know, fortunately, this was in the pre the era where we all had the capacity to record it yeah. at the drop of a hat. Otherwise, there might be some questionable songs out there on SoundCloud <laughs> if I was uh, part of this, a part of Gen Z. So no, no recordings, but I think my roommate claims that he has salvaged the lyrics from the trash, from our trash can and he uh, is preserving them. So that's beautiful. Yeah. It's great that they won't really forget that stuff, but yeah. So I had an opportunity to open for a friend, Dave Beck at a place in Iowa city called the mill and the mill actually is, it's a really old venue that had been around for, I mean, it's been around for decades and decades and decades and they actually just demolished it last mm. week. So it was really like emotional thing for the music community here. Cause a lot of us, like that was the first place that musicians from Iowa city played, you know what I mean? Like everybody at, at one point played a show there, they had the open mics, they had that sort of stuff. So I had a lot of my old young life friends like drive down from Minneapolis so cool. and surprise me. You know, my mom was there with balloons. I'm sure she always brings balloons and yeah, I just played like a, a probably 45 minute set of songs I wrote and I was reflecting on it the other day just because they destroyed the mill. But that I remember the feeling of like, when can I do this again? You know what I mean? After that, like it was like something electric about performing in that way and like having my own set and playing songs I wrote. And I just knew like that, that was it. Like there was mm, there wasn't going to awesome. be a time when I didn't want to do that. So, so was it was just a you night. and a guitar? Just me and a guitar. Um, yeah. So. How many songs? Yeah, it was great. I, I I don't know. I think it's probably about 45 minutes. I played maybe one cover and I I don't even know what songs I played. And like I said, because they destroyed the mill last week, I like went back to the posts about mm. that show. And I did hear one of the songs that I played and I, was, I had completely forgotten about the song. But yeah, I wish I could have kept track of like my set list. I do have a notebook somewhere that's like, old songs that I wrote yeah. around that time that I That's should cool. probably track down, but yeah. All right. So <clears throat> thank you for that, that little college history too. Yeah, of course. I think what's really interesting and I don't want to gloss over this, but so you were singing at a young age, thanks to mom and the family and that tradition that you had. That's awesome. And you senior year in college, you do your show where in there did you discover songwriting and that, you either wanted to do it, you were good at it, or how did that come about? Yeah, gradually, I think. You know, JJ was a big reason for me kind of jumping into that. Yeah, I just, there's something, it, like I said, when he performs songs that he's written, he has a way of embodying the heart and like having presence with wherever he was when he wrote that song that connects to the audience and by the audience, I mean me, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like 
I would watch him sing his songs and I would feel transported to mm. not, it was, it's kind of two things. Number one, he transports you to his story and you connect with it in like a very real, visceral way. Simultaneously, you resonate with the emotions of those stories in your own life is kind of reflected back in this other person's life, you know, in the specificity and in the artistic way that he can tell those stories. So I remember, you know, I probably probably didn't have the words to, I probably just thought like, I want to write songs like that, you know, <laughs> would probably have been my thought at the time, you know, as a high school student and then early in college. But I think that's what I was craving was like, I wanted to be able to tell my story in a provocative way and to connect with others through that storytelling. Um, and what I would add to that now, Dave Gould, our good mutual friend, who, like we said, is incredible and the nicest person we know, he always asks, like, what's your why? Like, what's your why? Yes, all that time, all the time. And I'll give him an answer. And he he never quite accepts it. He's like, I, yeah, that's, you know, that, but what's your why? Like, what's the deeper why? And as a 32-year-old, just in the last year, I think I've discovered, like, my why is like, just cause I was like made to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. that's the way that I interpret and think of and process life is through song. And so I think if I would to go back to my high school and college stuff, watching JJ, it was just also watching like, Oh, that's how I see the world too. Mm. Like I see the world in metaphors and melodies, you know, like that sort of thing. So, so I think I got the bug early in uh, late in high school and early in college and just started like sampling you know dipping my toe in with gorgeous girl you know but that didn't that wasn't about my life it wasn't about you know that was just a song you know and then started like okay well how would I tell my story and that gets a lot harder because then you gotta wrestle with things like vulnerability and how much do you want to say and mm -hmm. you know you can code that as much as you want to you know that sort of thing so yeah I think after after kind of those experiences with JJ, I really started to, to get into it more over the course of college. Oh, that's so cool. Well, <clears throat> besides JJ, which I feel like I need to do a show on JJ, that'd be amazing. I'm yeah, not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure. Series. I'm not sure he would do it, but I would, I, I think it's worth a try. It'd be interesting. Uh, He's yeah. He uh, doesn't do very much performing anymore, but He's, he's still an artist, you know? Yeah. I just think I'd love to hear that. his perspective, but so if you were to, and I know this is, this is challenging. At least it is when people ask me my favorite. So you can answer this either some of your favorite now or, or a couple of the singer songwriters that you go back to, um, because you can just, you know, count on them, you know, to, to continue to evoke that emotion or that storytelling or that connection, who are a couple that are some of your faves or have were an inspiration to you? Yeah. You know, I have, I've got, I'm kind of like my brother a little bit and I'm a, I'm a little bit eclectic, but I always go back to first Stevie wonder because of, you know, I think Stevie wonder obviously did a ton with, you know, telling the stories of life through his music, obviously. But to me, Stevie wonder is like the way that he made you feel, you know, the way that he makes you feel is unmatched for me and so i'm like okay so first i want people to feel like that that like can't help but like move my body or like have some sort of emotional reaction to just your your song as you wrote it bill withers is huge for me because that's like 
the OG black singer songwriter with a guitar, you know what I mean? Singing soulful Southern music. Like that's a person you look at and you say, oh, I could do that. The people that I watch play guitar first were all white singer songwriters playing Damien Rice and, you know, these other Mm -hmm. great musicians, but you know, to see somebody like that. You you didn't connect to them as much, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I felt like I could parrot it, but it wasn't authentic, you know? Well, I walked over the bridge into the city where I live and I saw my old landlord. Well, we both said hello, there was nowhere else to go cause this rent I couldn't afford. Amos Lee was the first person that I really heard kind of currently that I was like, okay, they are, I feel, I hear that, yes, I see you cheering cause I, I feel the same way. Like his first album, I, I listened to every day of, of my freshman year of college. It, it just, it blew me away. It was so soulful, but he's playing this acoustic guitar. He, I mean, uh, yeah, that was great. So he's he's another big one. I could name a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot, even like people like John Legend in the more pop sphere yeah. that like had that church background. I could hear that like gospel influence in his stuff. And I was like, oh, I really like that. Currently, I love the band Lake Street Dive. Mm. I like that they're a little bit genreless and soulful. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm in the same kind of ballpark as them as far as like the sure. music that I'm trying to write right now, but I love them and I got to play a show with them. So that was great. Oh, like, you did? That's awesome. Yeah, I get, actually get to talk to them and meet them. And so that was a good time. Yeah, I've been enjoying listening to Amethyst Kaya recently. Went to a show oh, first. Yeah, Dave introduced me to her. Yeah. 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 So she's. She's fantastic too. So yeah. Awesome. Well, I was cheering. <laughs> the listeners can actually know that I was sitting here cheering when you said Amos yes. Lee. <laughs> um, it was, so his uh, first for the, his, for his the first, listeners, it was yeah. an exuberant, it was an exuberant expression <laughs> of excitement that I witnessed. <laughs> well, he Yeah, he's my favorite. And and it's it's hard to say like my favorite, but his first album, his first three albums really, but his first album is yeah. an album I I still listen to, I think, weekly. And there's something about his, yeah, the emotion, the storytelling, the the lyrics, the guitar, and you will appreciate this. You said something earlier about, about JJ that, that I really related to and went right back to this moment of just enchantment, but also being transported, I think were the words you used. And I remember I went and saw Amos Lee. We went early, it was a show in Chicago, and I was right up against the stage. I'd never been mm-hmm. to this venue before. I'd actually, didn't know his music that well and mm-hmm. i was transfixed the yeah. whole set and literally i think i dude I, th- I think i laughed i think i cried it was everything it was just like oh a beautiful and when he got up there he, he he was he was not a musician he was just an artist right? right and that experience like transported me into a different space so when i when i listen to that album i particularly go back to that moment and yeah. that makes his music you know, more special, at least for me. Yeah, I don't know when he went, but he was playing tours early on. I saw him in Madison, Wisconsin. To, to venues where, like, 
you could have, I could have walked up and just touched it. You know what yeah, I mean? There was like 40 people at the place. I went. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just like, you know, and it, it seemed just like it, you were like looking around, like, do people not know that this <laughs> right? is, yeah, you know, totally. like, yeah, yeah, that this is going on right down the street or something, you know? But yeah, I remember that same feeling like, oh man. Yeah. Incredible performer. Yeah. That's one of my favorite concerts I've ever been to. Yeah. There's not a, there's not, I mean, there's not a ton of people that I would love to meet. I mean, I guess there is, but if I had to pick, like he would be one of the ones I would just love to sit and have a beer and just sit and yeah, just, oh, for or, sure. and just say, Hey man, how do you, you know, come about your music? I don't know. I think it'd right. be fascinating. Uh, well, thank you for letting me go down member lane with you right there. Of course. Um, of course. And uh, so <clears throat> how would you describe your music style or, or is there a genre, is there like a genre that you would, you know, consider yourself to be in? Yeah, you know, I've 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 considered myself to be in a little bit of a like music like uh, like self actualization period <laughs> over the past two years, which is kind of you know funny that it's happening now as I'm 32. But I just <laughs> like uh, decided I'm going to call my genre soul, and I don't care what kind of soul it is you know what i mean like whatever soul comes to me that's what i w- w- want to write and sing you know like when i was early on i called myself folk soul because jj's a folk player and that's kind of you know i watched him and kind of learned how to play guitar that way and that's kind of Amos Lee too i'm like oh i love that style that folk soul then i was like rocking soul because i had like a band behind me and we were playing a little bit more like upbeat stuff with a little more rock influence and i love the killers and had a little bit oh, of, like yeah. i wanted to do a little bit of that you know then i wanted to be like i, I would just had conversations about like oh man i i really love that like 60s style so that sam cook style that mississippi gospel style that i grew up seeing. and finally i was like just write whatever you want to write you know what i mean that's that was lake street dive influence like everything I would say that they do is soul influence in some way, but album to album, song to song, you don't know if you're going to get some like disco, you know, bop, or if you're going to get like a R and B slow jam, but it all sounds authentic to their style. And that's, that's kind of, that's really the the root of it. It's like, just want to be authentic. And I know for me, what authentically connects with me is soul music of pretty much any variety. So yeah. That's cool. That's Some of your description just reminded me of Ray LaMontagne's last 10 years. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Does that resonate sure. yeah. at all? Yeah. yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Ray Lamont- yeah, I listened to a lot of Ray LaMontagne around the same time as, uh, as Amos Elite. Hmm. I want to explore the voice experience because I, admittedly, I was very much an early voice fan. And mm-hmm. I, if I was to be honest here, I'm really a fan of like the, what do you call them? The blinds. Yeah, right? the blinds. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. and then I kind of skip, and then I kind of go to the finals. But so, how did you know? How did that come about? What was that process like to to even get on the show? Yeah, so I'm like notorious for not wanting to be on one of those shows. <laughs> After I played that show, my first show at the mill, over the next year, my friends had offered me several times, like, "We'll pay for you to go trap for American Idol or The Voice," and I remember saying, "Like, no, like I don't want to like make it." that way you know what i mean like if i if i were to like actually do well i wouldn't want to i don't know what i what idea yeah and yeah just out of curiosity do you know why that was or you just i don't i think you know pretension maybe i don't know like 
maybe I wanted to, or maybe I felt like it wasn't artistic enough or mm-hmm. something, you know, but they actually offered then to pay for my, like, they're like, well, let us do a Kickstarter and we'll help fund your first album. So that was a, a nice trade-off. But during the pandemic, I remember just sitting around with my wife and like an ad popped up on my Facebook, like, hey, audition for The Voice. I'm not playing any shows and I kind of made a joke. I'm like, hey, what if this was the time that I auditioned for The Voice? Because it's like, just send in a video, you know, because it's a pandemic. So that's the first thing you have to do is just send a video. Hold on. just want to be clear but, here. You decided to try out for The Voice because you got a Google ad or a Facebook yeah, ad? Yeah, Facebook ad. Yeah, <laughs> a Facebook ad. Yeah. A Facebook ad popped up and I kind of made like a passing joke with my wife. Like, yeah, maybe this is the time. And since I don't have to go anywhere, I, you know, whatever. And then she was like, you should do it. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, do it. And I'm like, okay, fine, I'll do it. And I like sent in a video and got this email back a few days later. They're like, great, you're on to the next round. Whoa. My wife said, she would say like, she had a feeling from the beginning. She's like, mm-hmm. you're going to get on. Now, what but did you me, send I, in? Do you, do you send an original? Do you send in a cover or how does that work? You send in a cover and then the next round is like a live video that you have to send in like okay. you record it it's like you have an audition time on a website and it, it records you okay playing cool. your song so yeah i my oh, i, I got to backtrack a slight bit i took a class called the science of well-being through like this online yale course that's yeah just dr laurie dr laurie santos yes. i took the same one one thing that the science teaches us is that even though we're all seeking happiness, we don't often do it in the right way. Um, we have these strong intuitions about the kinds of things that can make us happy, but often those intuitions are wrong. You know, during the pandemic work from home days, I came across Dr. Santos's class and man, I loved it. It's free on Coursia. It's called The Science of Wellbeing. And I believe it has become the most popular course in Yale University's history. In fact, it's developed into a global phenomenon with over 3 million people signing up to study Lori's evidence-based strategies for happiness. I I literally, like James is talking about, I have thought about things I've learned uh, daily. It's it's great. She also has an engaging and brilliant podcast called Happiness Lab. And she also has some great newsletters and things that you can get to really, you know, kind of hone in on the science of happiness. Check it out. You will not be disappointed. It's a great class. And so at the time, I was taking it during the pandemic and trying to embody it a little bit. And like two of the things I was really practicing were like presence, having a lot of presence Mm. and savoring. These are things that I like have trouble with. I'm always thinking like down the line and I don't just like take the moment and say, this is a good moment. This is a good meal. This is a good, you know? Mm. And so when I decided to do this, I'm like, I don't want to get wrapped up in like what happens. Like there's no failing here. It's just being present with the process and mm. savoring every moment of it. I was in that headspace because of the class. So good. And so while my wife was like, you're going to get on in the back of her mind, I was like, no matter what happens, just doing it, it's going to be fun. And so sent, you know, did the live video. And like, okay, great. You're on to the next round. Uh, here's three songs. Cover these three songs. Send them in to us. Blah, blah. I'm like, okay. Did that. They're like, great. Do you remember you the songs? It was My Girl by The Temptations. There was a John Legend song in there. 
and I don't think I can remember the third song. Maybe Hozier, a Hozier okay. song. Um, That's all right. I'm just curious. How when that works, my yeah. life comes around, maybe in the cold. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so those three, and then they were like, "Great, we want you to meet with our producer." And I was like. Okay, and my wife's like, "This is getting real." You know, are you still are you still present at this moment and savoring? Are you thinking ahead? Still present, still (laughs) present and savoring. A a little confused, honestly, not because I'm like, "Oh, I can't sing." I'm, you know, that sort of thing. You know, there were, you know, tens of thousands. I think it was something like eighty thousand people that auditioned for The Voice that season. You know what I mean? You don't go into a process like that thinking like, "I'll be one of the first hundred or whatever." Yeah, Yeah, yeah. So every round, I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm preparing myself. I'm just going to savor this interview and like enjoy it. You know, great. You're on to the next interview with this production team. Great. We want you to talk to this person. And finally, it was just after like six or seven rounds of this, it was an email saying, we would like to invite you to come to LA. Um, which okay. was just crazy. Yeah. How did, could, you got to tell me now. You read that. Did you read it by so, yourself? No, so, or did you read it with so, your wife? So, or how did you feel? It was a call. It was a call first. It was okay. a call first. Because I remember sitting on the porch with one of our dear friends who was moving to Colorado. And this was like the last time we were going to see her. And we were, you know, talking and just like saying our goodbyes. And I got a phone call from California. I was like, excuse me, you know, (laughs) and you're not allowed to tell anyone that you're doing this, right? You're legally not allowed to fill people in on this process. So then I took the phone call. The lady, of course, was like, hey, we'd like to invite you to L.A. about my you know, yeah, it was super exciting, hung up the phone. Then I had to come back and pretend like nothing had happened for the rest of the time that she was there because <laughs> that's not what that moment was about. So my wife didn't know until after she left what had happened. So that, yeah, then it was exciting. And then we started getting emails saying, okay, here's what the, the official asked, the invite, the contracts, a lot of Zoom calls with the cast. There's like a hundred people that they select first and then they send you out to LA and they're like kind of cutting people down while you're there, which a lot of people don't realize. I don't know. How oh, wow. So you get invited out there and then there's a pre-cut before the actual cut. So in the first, if they turn all their chairs in the first 41 people, the rest of the, you know, yeah, 259 don't get to audition. So I think that it's, it was more of them trying to get to a point where they have a good number, and they know by now it's been 20 seasons at that point. I'm sure they're on season 22 now, where it's like they know exactly how many typically would get turned away in that process and would get a chair turn. So they kind of narrow it down a little bit before you even get now, to do you Do you interact at all with the other contestants or any of the judges in advance, yes. or how does that work? So that is the best part of the process. And the thing that I most loved about all of it, like I said, I was really into savoring and, and doing it that and just like approaching it with that mindset. But what I did not expect was that it was going to, that was a revolutionary experience for my music and the way that I songwrite. Because every day that you're there, you're just sitting down with some of the best musicians you could ever hope to meet. I mean, these are literally some of the best singers in the country, some of the best songwriters, um, performers, and you would be a fool to not learn something, you know what I mean? And it's such a diversity. You've got 16 year old kids who could sing you, you know, under the table. They are incredible at 16, way better than I could ever hope to be. Then you've got 45 year old songwriters that have been in the industry a long time and everything in between. 
And so, you know, I had friends that had like Broadway influence and do theater, friends that are like true pop musicians, singer songs, that sort of stuff. And it just, I think it filters you into yourself as you go. You know what I mean? If you get into the comparison game, I made a point to, I didn't follow anybody on social media while I was there. I didn't look at their Instagrams or their Facebooks or whatever. If you get into the comparison game of like, am I going to win this show? I think it's over for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because there's always going to be somebody better. It, it helped me, I think, interacting with them and looking to them as people to learn from to be able to embrace like, so who am I? You know what I mean? What's my authentic music self? Because it's not the same as, you know, this guy who can like do every R&B run that you can think of, you sure. know, or yeah. this this girl who belts Broadway tunes, you know. So that was my favorite part of the process was just making really good friends and learning from them. So that was great. All right. Uh, so you get, you get, you get chosen to be one of the 40, right? Or I, I mean, do. you get chosen yes. to walk yeah. on stage. What's that like? Like how long between you find out when you perform? <laughs> yeah, it's a day. Wow. They, so the whole process is much longer than you think you're there for about a month, you know, doing things, but between the day when you find out that you were going to audition and the day you audition was just one day. Mm-hmm. So that was insane. It was like the night before you find out and then, all right, I'm going. So, but it was, it was really fun. Back to the savoring thing. If there was ever going to be a point that you would lose that, it would be during the actual audition because you're like, it feels high stakes. You can't help being nervous because it's, it's just super nerve wracking. I think the hardest part was because it was a pandemic, the audition itself there's no audience mm-hmm. where typically there is. And as a performer, when I can get a reaction from an audience, it kind of draws me in, you know what I mean? In a weird way, it's a relationship. There's an energy there that feels reciprocated. But when it's like a big empty room with like four chairs turned backwards, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just, it's That's just gotta like, be rough. But yeah, the nerves just go nowhere. But regardless, you know, I, you know, that day was a ton of fun. I loved like interaction with the other artists I love performing, and I, as you probably know already, I didn't get a chair turn. And my first text was to my wife because she was on the, she was, you know, watching from the thing with my kids. And I just said, that was awesome. I, and I truly, like, 100% felt like, who gets to do this? You know what I mean? 80,000 people or whatever, 100,000 people who auditioned for this year of The Voice. Every step of this process, getting further, that seems ridiculous already. And then I actually got to them seeing for these people and meet them and they were super fun and we're really, they, you get to talk to them more than just like the camera, you know, what's what they show on TV, but like getting to talk about songwriting with John Legend or talk about Iowa City with Blake Shelton. How's it going? What's your name? Where are you from? I'm James Tutson. I'm 31 and I'm from Iowa City, Iowa. You really do have a lovely voice. The tone is very sweet and comforting and soulful. It just didn't all come together for me today. Some of it, I think, was a little bit of pitch imprecision. While it felt like it was close, it just didn't feel like it was all the way there for me. Yeah. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, so. yeah. The singing felt maybe a little too laid back and not enough emphasis What's that word? Incubus? Incubus? Emphasis is abandoned. On the singing, you know, maybe a little too laid back, and because of that, it didn't feel like it got up to some of the notes. Right. I always get nervous about people being so nervous, and that might be why they go pitchy in places. And so I didn't know if that was like a factor. What a cool experience to have. 
like I said, I came right back and I wrote, I scrapped the album I was working on and I wrote a new album because I felt like I'd become a more authentic version of myself just from the experience of interacting with other artists and um, yeah, being present with that process. I, I, I loved every minute of it. I thought it was fantastic. So yeah. And when you came back to the album, the album you wrote was still right. Or that. Yep. The album I wrote was still. Mm -hmm. Awesome. One day. I have to ask because my wife loves Blake Shelton and um, yeah. I, I love John Legend. Actually, pretty much all the judges they have on there I really dig. Yeah, they um, uh, Is John Legend just as warm and wonderful as I think he is in my mind? All of them were so incredible. I was impressed. I always wondered, you know, like you always wonder, okay, what are these people actually like? But the way that they talk to you is so stupid, but they're people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Of course, they're people at the end of it all. But, you know, when you get to be that level of fame or importance in some, you know, whatever way, shape, or form, a lot of people, I think, lose a little bit of that humanity because they're used to being treated like something more, you know? But it was so cool. You know, Kelly Clarkson was like saying hi to my wife. And, you know, she's like, you know, that was like my my wife's big thing was like, make sure you tell Kelly hi for me. So that was great. And <laughs> John, so Blake, awesome. John Legend talked about songwriting with me. Blake Shelton was kind of like, he had been to Iowa City a number of times. He used to play at a club here, like when he was just starting out. So we talked about Iowa City a little bit. Nick was like, just pretty laid back. I honestly, I don't remember a lot of what he said to me. We did talk, but I just don't remember. I, you know, there's so many nerves and energy. You try to remember as much as you can. James, I think you're super talented. I feel like if you came back with something that gives you the ability to kind of show us everything you've got right from the jump would be really helpful. Good luck with everything in the future, man. Thank you so much. It's an honor to meet you all. I really appreciate it. It's a wild ride for sure. But yeah, they, it was, that, that was all great. You know, so would you do it again? Great people. I was asked about that and I said no for now. I try to like do this thing in my life where I, I like to think about the relationship between like love and fear. You know, like to me, those are, op those, those are the opposites. And if I make a decision or if I do a thing, I want to do it out of love, not out of fear. It's kind of my, how I think about it. And so for me, I'm like, okay, when they sent me, they, they invited me to, you know, come back. And I'm like, would I go back because of love that I've, I want to do this process all over again, or because of fear that I would never get another opportunity so big. And in my head, the, the, all the reasons I could think of to go back were because I was afraid that maybe this would be my only, you know, my biggest chance and I wouldn't be something, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, that together with just talking with my wife of like how much she, she did so much for me to go, you know what I mean? We had to take our two kids and basically like moving back home and, you know, that sort of stuff for weeks, you know, and it was, it was those two things that I was, you know, I need to make the decision out of love and i'm not doing that so hmm. basically i said no and maybe that'll change someday and i'll like reach out or something and see if you know but for now i feel really good about just like that was a fun experience i think i got from it so many incredible things and yeah hmm. wow well thank you for sharing that with me as a fan and um, <laughs> as someone who watches the show, I'm, I'm really grateful. I always, always wonder 
about that. So <clears throat> you left there. It sounded like you left there feeling inspired. And so why don't we go to where we're at right now, just musically. So it's not just you anymore, right? How would you describe yeah. your current, what's the right term, musical setup or, or, or stage? Yeah. yeah. I kind of have, I have two setups going simultaneously. I have a band called James Sutton on the Rollback. And we've played together for a while, but we're in need of a, a new project. We're trying to get some things together and work on a new project for us. But for the last, since I left The Voice, I've kind of been focused on the James Tutson side of it, which is, you know, my solo music, which actually isn't solo. I still um, have a band um, that I play with, particularly my kind of partner is a guy named Tyler Carrington who is the drummer for my uh, James Hudson rollback, but he also plays keys. And so he plays the drums and keys on the James Tutson solo stuff. I do the guitar and the bass for still and sing and background vocals. And now for this next project that we're gonna come up with this spring, we have another guy whose um, name is Blake, Blake Shaw, who's gonna be playing bass with us. And our other keyboardist, Eric Lehman, is gonna be doing some keys for us. So. We're in that kind of personal setup right now, writing solo songs and playing with a band. So, Awesome. Before we go into your wife and your nonprofit, which uh, I know we're getting short on time, I want to make sure we get some space on that. Our, just going back to that, that course you took, which I thought was great. And just for the listeners, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's a free course. Uh, actually, the most, po- the most popular course from you. Yeah. Um, to be you know, um, present and, you know, um, savoring the moments, where are you now? If you're to think about that musically, like, do you feel you're in a good space and you're savoring it? Or do you feel you're, you're kind of looking forward again to wanting to do the next, whatever? Yeah. I'd be lying if I said I didn't have an itch, you know what I mean? I had a little bit of a, like, you know, right now I'm in a, a good position of I feel like I've gotten a lot of like interest from people in my music and where I'm headed and I want to head somewhere good and want to get there fast you know feel feel a little impatient in that regard trying to remain present and that's partially why this project I'm working on now is an album called Happy Mm -hmm. um because well for many reasons but you know um over the past pandemic and all that sort of stuff, we've seen a lot of social issues. We've seen a lot of obviously like pandemic issues, political issues, all sorts of things like that. And I've had a lot of people that kind of remain unbothered (laughs) throughout the whole thing, which to me seems off, you know, like, (laughs) yeah, that seems really (laughs) off. (laughs) It seems really off because it feels like a a disconnect and empathy, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's, it's a few things. It's that it's kind of like, okay, is happiness. I'm thinking and reflecting on this course, like is being happy, the ultimate thing. How do we navigate happiness? I want to be happy. I'm sure you want to be happy. I also don't want to be ignorant or non-empathetic or, you know, that sort of thing. And kind of, like you said, I have this perceived notion of where I want to get to where if I do this thing, then I'll be happy. I mean, I'll, I'll get it from the course and from the, like, that's not the way it works. So then how do I practice presence and presence with things that maybe are miserable <laughs> to 
to ultimately find happiness. Like it just gets a little complicated, you know? Yeah. So, but it's helping me. It's helping remind me as I'm, you know, writing these songs and recording them of like what real happiness consists of mm. um, is not, you know, being checked out with anything that would cause you to have an emotional reaction other than happiness, you know? So that's actually been a good reminder for me to try to remain patient and just be present with the processes and yeah, remain no, consistent, great. I guess. No, thanks for sharing that. I've, I've discovered, especially over the last two years, there's a lot of power in naming whatever that thing is, right? That is mm-hmm. separating us from true presence. I think you can be more grateful, which leads to happiness, even in those right. times that are just terrible because you're empathetic and human and, and there, right? Yeah. Man, I can't wait to, to, to hear that. Yeah. I'm curious. Do you do like a, like a gratitude journal or anything? Have you gotten into that ever? I'm the worst at that. Um, Me too. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, um, here's what I do this. And I don't want to get super nerdy, but I, I loved atomic habits, the James clear book about how to create habits. And he has this concept called habit stacking. So if there's things that you're already doing, can you add to that something you really want to add to your day? Right. And so part of what I do is I will, I have like over 120,000 images on my phone because what brings me joy is I will take snapshots of moments that are really wonderful or something I find beautiful or something I don't want to forget. And so I have a visual journal and then I actually write down little tidbits and quotes and thoughts and things that I either read or write. And that is sort of my gratitude journal. And I, I, I do journal every day, but I, I'm not kidding. It's like a sentence or two. You know, my wife is like writing pages and I'm just like, this, this works for me. So that's as yeah. far as I've gotten, James. Uh, but yeah, I, no, that's great. Yeah. You are, of course, a musician and exploring your career. And you also have started uh, a nonprofit. Share with me, if you could, just your organization you know why you created i know that i know there's a long story behind that but you know however you want to frame that i'd I'd be grateful you know it's pretty simple in in many ways you know like i said i was involved in another organization called young left for a long time just kind of you know ministry space you know faith um, based organization mentors for relationships with high school and college students i got involved with it when i was in high school have a lot of friends from there and just over the past few years, you know, I think there's a there's a movement in all sorts of places, but you know, an acknowledgement of how faith spaces have been kind of exclusionary towards certain groups of people, particularly the LGBTQ community. And I think one great thing about this pandemic is that, you know, so many social issues came up that forced us to really look at not just like what we believe, but how we believe it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if if you can, if we could say, you know, like that we are people that want to support people from the LGBTQ community in our specific case, how are we believing that? Are we believing that with our actions, with our posture and with the way that we live our daily lives? And so that was just the thing that we decided to do was we felt like it was time to leave and, um, Instead of trying to adjust a space that was already exclusive in that way, we wanted to create a space that wasn't mm. and and figure out if someone were to do this from the ground up, if someone were to create an inclusive space from the ground up, how would that change the way that we mentor high school students and college students? How would that change the nature of our relationships, the things we say, 
how we're structured. So that's kind of where Neighbors came to be and tagging along with that with the kind of social issues and people especially leading with Black Lives Matter protests. We wanted to have tangible ways that we could serve in communities and actually make the changes that young people were passionate about. And so the service component is a big part of Neighbors as well. So that's something we do, take the lead from young people about where they see needs in the community and then we try to fill those needs. So mm, yeah, that. it's been it's been great. Oh, it's beautiful. Thank you for doing that work. Uh, that's oh yeah, just hit our one year anniversary. Oh, congratulations, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll put all of your info as well in the show notes. And so James, I just want to say thank you so much. I feel like I could talk to you specifically about Amos Lee for another hour, but a bunch of other that's things our, too. our sixth podcast episode will be right. Amos Lee only. That's right. Maybe this will be <laughs> James Tutson and Justin Aarons and the rollbacks all together. Like it'll be amazing. Yeah, everything. Um, yeah, I love that. <laughs> thanks, my man. Appreciate you. Yeah, great to meet you. Great to be on. Thanks for having me. For more on James' performances, where his latest gigs are, and music, please go to jamestutson.com, J-A-M-E-S-T-U-T-S-O-N, or search for James Tutson wherever you listen to music. You know, go see a show and spread the word. You can be that person to share some soulful new music for a friend's playlist. I also want to thank James Tutson and Sleeping At Last for providing our show's soundtrack. For more on Sleeping At Last, please go to sleepingatlast.com or search for Sleeping At Last wherever you get your music. To design of the audio engineer, Steve Wick, who loved this episode so much, he started thinking about what would be his voice audition song. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did making it. If so, please give us a ranking on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Tell others about our show on your social of choice and stay tuned for more of season eight coming soon. Please follow us on Twitter at Design of Podcast and check out our site at rule29.com forward slash design of podcast. See you next episode. <laughs>